Hello and welcome to episode 239 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley, as always, joined by Bryson Poza. We don't have Jacob with us today, but we will be here discussing everything about the Blue Jays offseason and what is to come over the next four to five months. Bryson, how are you? Doing good, Mark. It's almost gotten to a point where it feels weird to record. I mean, we had yeah. the one at the end of the season, two weeks later, and then we had another two-week break. The season's officially over now, so we know as of Thursday, free agency is officially going to begin. We have a great offseason with lots of content to talk about, so I guess I'm kind of relieved at that point now that the season's over. We can officially move on from it, and we can kind of look forward to 2023 now, and the rumors have begun. I know your favorite reporter, John Morosi, kind of dropped a lot of stuff today with the Blue Jays, and we're going to get into that today. And it's going to be a fun conversation, of course. Even throughout the next couple of months, it's going to be fun as this team builds itself up for 2023. Yeah, it's already started. I think, you know, it took us a while to get over the kind of sting of what was the Blue Jays' wild card loss. But I think now, officially, pretty much a month later, I think exactly a month later to the day, I believe it was October 8th, that the Blue Jays lost. I think we're finally, maybe not getting over it, but getting past it at least and getting ready to talk about the off season. So yeah, you mentioned a little bit there previewing some of the stuff that we've heard just today with things really getting underway. Um, the big news that John Morosi dropped was that the Blue Jays are pursuing trading one of their catchers before next season starts. And I don't know if we can call this big news because I think it, at least for us three, has always been a little bit of common sense. Jacob and I thought that one of the catchers was going to get traded before the trade deadline during the season. Bryson, you hopped on the train and said one of the catchers was going to be traded in the offseason. So we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm not sure it comes as a big surprise. But I will say it's encouraging that it is officially becoming part of the conversation and something that the Blue Jays will pursue. And we heard from Ben Nicholson-Smith. He talked to Ross Atkins at the GM meetings. Apparently, Ross Atkins said that they have had teams interested in their catcher. So again, not revolutionary stuff, but just kind of getting the ball rolling on all of this sort of thing. So I'm interested in your thoughts on this, how your mind has changed since we last discussed this conversation. Well, yeah, even going back to the summer, uh, this was talked about from you guys. And I, I'll give you credit because you were the first one, I believe, like that I actually heard of. And of course, we, we did the podcast after every series where you brought this idea up. And at first, it didn't make sense to me to do it in July. But at the same time, I think we all kind of came to an understanding if it didn't happen in July, this was something that they couldn't push it forever. And I think now that you're entering... Uh, an off season where it seems like, I mean, even before spring training starts, the rumors have already started on that. And when you think about it, as much as you like Danny Jansen, as much as you like Alejandro Kirk, Gabriel Moreno, from what we saw is even at the, I guess, near the closer to the end of the season when he got in some games, you love what they have at catcher. But at the same time, this is a team that is entering, I would say, probably an interesting off season, just because of the fact that, and this is something we briefly touched upon, there's only three free agents that they have. So, 
a lot of this is basically unless trades are made, which it looks like it's going to happen. A lot of the only way this team can maybe drastically change or make some sort of significant change would be via trade. And the fact of the matter is, as much as you love your three catchers, you don't need three catchers. And I think that's the point that everyone pretty much kind of saw in the summer, even maybe even before that, when we were talking about Gabriel Moreno in the spring. And at the same time, we knew that this was something that was officially going to come. And the fact that we're hearing reports of it now, for me, and I think you're with me on this, it's almost, I would say, almost a lock. One of them is going to get traded. However, which one is the interesting conversation? Because I think I have seen so many people um, pretty much flip-flop between Alejandro Kirk and Gabriel Moreno. I've seen some people even think about Danny Jansen, although I think um, out of all those three, I think Danny Jansen's the least likely to be moved at this point. But again, all these three, none of them, I would say, are completely a lock to stay. As much as you think one guy's more likely to get moved than the other, it's going to be interesting to see out of those two guys. For me, I envision it will either be Kirk or Moreno. And then the question is going to be, what else do you attach with it? Because there have been so many different kind of theories and even different players that we talked about the last day of the season besides the catchers. I mean, there's been, we know last offseason, just before the lockout started, there was the report that came out the following April about Teoscar Hernandez and the Blue Jays and the Marlins discussing a deal. Um, that's something that possibly is, or somebody like Teoscar Hernandez, as much as we all love Teoscar, He's also not an untouchable. There was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. rumors for probably the last couple of years, too. It feels like anyone other than the catchers or along with the catchers, if people are going to go or be traded, it could be one of those guys as well. And that's what makes it really interesting because this is a team where a lot of the needs that they have are still kind of, it's pretty much the same, I should say, in terms of what we saw in the summer, because we all had the whole conversation that we didn't think this team did enough at the trade deadline, whether that was getting a lefty at bat, whether that was getting more, you know, swing and miss out of the bullpen. As much as they did address it in certain aspects, we still, all, all three of us believed at the time it wasn't enough. And because they made little moves, as much as they addressed it in in a way, they're still kind of the same weakness as you had in the offseason. So it's going to be a lot of the same conversations. But at the same time, I think we're anticipating something to happen or more than one thing to happen um, when we see this, of course. And, of course, we know this kind of translates as well to starting pitching, swing and miss, catching now. It just you wonder if this could all be one huge move, if this could be separate moves. But at the same time, we're talking about Alejandro Kirk here, Gabriel Moreno. So one guy, of course, who still has prospect status, one guy in Alejandro Kirk who was an all-star, these guys have significant value. And there's already been teams today, of course, that have been known to be looking for catching depth. I think a team that was named today uh, would be the Detroit Tigers. The Houston Astros have been a team looking for catching pretty much for the last couple of years as they've been rolling with Martin Maldonado, and he's aging. And, of course, there's also the Chicago Cubs, I believe, the uh, that have been looking for yeah, the Cardinals is another team. Yeah, that's right. So there's tons of teams here that are looking for catchers. And really, when you think about it, all of these teams – you can envision them being trade partners with the Jays because of the needs that both of them have. Of course, all these teams, especially teams like the Cardinals, teams like the Tigers, have that swing and miss stuff. It's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens there. And I'm glad to the point uh, of what I believe it was Ross Atkins or somebody reported it, is that they are not going to do it unless they are completely sold on it. And you love to see that because of the leverage that they do have. And they do have a ton of leverage because of the depth that they have, because of the um, high number of teams that are looking for catchers. You don't need to just make 
this move just to say you made it. You need to utilize this correctly. You need to, if whether that takes a, who knows, a month or two, maybe it takes a week or two, but to properly evaluate everything and to make the right move that's possible to pretty much ensure that you're getting a really good return for these guys because these guys, again, have high value. I think that's the best part from what I heard today, and I'm glad that the Jays aren't exactly in a rush to move one, but at the same time, they have kind of come to terms with the fact that this is likely something that will have to be done over the course of the offseason. Yeah, I respect the fact that they don't want to be in a rush and they want to wait to get the best deal, but at the same time, I don't want them to wait for a perfect deal because I think a perfect deal may never show up and they need to move one of these guys. Like We've been talking about it for a while. They got to move one of them. That's just the reality of the situation right now. You have three catchers to fill the role that at most two people can f- fill And normally, for any other team, you're going to have one starter and one second string catcher. With the Blue Jays, you have three top-tier caliber catchers, and you got to move one of them because otherwise you're going to be wasting their talents. And to me, I think the entertaining question is how do you rank them? Who do you think is most tradable versus least tradable? I think we agree that Danny Jansen is least tradable on that list. Although there were people who would order it the other way around who would say Danny Jansen is number one just based on... You know, first, Major League service time. Second, the potential that they've shown in the majors, especially offensively, even though Danny Jansen is coming off a good season. So it kind of runs the gamut. I think if I'm choosing between Alejandro Kirk in terms of who's more tradable, I don't know. My gut says Gabriel Moreno (laughs) is one most tradable. Alejandro Kirk is two and Danny Jansen is three. But you can make a case for all of them. It's so tough. Like, you can make the case that Danny Jansen's going to get traded because they've used up most of his service time on the Blue Jays. He is older than both the others. Um, His offense isn't as good as both the others. You can make the case that they would want to trade him. You can make the case for Alejandro Kirk. You know, maybe they think this is the best offensive season he's ever going to have. Maybe they think his stock is high now before he gets injured or wears down or something like that. And then Gabby Marino, you can make the case for that as well. He's not a known commodity. He came up. I know he didn't get regular playing time, but some of his appearances weren't the greatest. You can make the case for all three of these guys to be traded. And it's going to be a big question as to who gets moved. But I think, again, I think Danny Jansen is more of an untouchable than either of them. But the Blue Jays need to make a move either way. And if we get to whatever pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training is, February 15th-ish, February 14th, if we get to the middle of February and the Blue Jays still have Marino Jansen and Kirk on their roster I'm going to be upset because this was a move that I think even now is overdue if we get to the point of next spring training where all three of these guys are still on the team it's going to be far overdue and there's going to be some questions that need to be asked about why this move hasn't been made because and this is a good segue into what we're going to be talking the rest of the episode there are a lot of needs on this team I think the one thing that we learned from this postseason and the Blue Jays' brief appearance in it, is that this team is very far from winning it all. And we've been talking for years about how great this team will be, how good they are, and they're a good team, but I think what the last four weeks have demonstrated is that they are a good team that is very far from being the caliber of team that you need to be to get to the World Series and to win the World Series. I mean, the comparison is clear as day. Like, you look at the bullpen and the Mariners, um, and how they survived an 18-inning game, or I guess almost survived an 18-inning game against the Astros. You look at the Astros themselves, their bullpen, 
their offense, their starting rotation, every bit of that team. You look at the Yankees, yes, their offense didn't show up, but you look at them through the regular season, how they had the bullpen for the most part, they had the offense. You look at every single team that made its way deeper into the postseason than the Blue Jays did, and it just goes incrementally and exponentially in terms of talent off the Blue Jays. So I think what the last four weeks demonstrate is, at least to me, and this is something you might disagree with, but the Blue Jays need to make some big changes. They can't add at the margins and hope to win a World Series next year. And maybe the goal isn't to win the World Series next year. But if they're adding at the margins, the best thing that's going to happen is that they make it to the Division Series. Absolute best case scenario, they make it to the Championship Series. I think if you're not making any big moves, if you're not making big changes to this roster, you're not winning the World Series. I don't mean big changes as in like trading Bobochette and trading Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean big changes as in adding guys to this team. So whether it's... You know, the type of deal we saw with Edwin Diaz, who just signed a $100 million plus extension with the Mets for a closer. Whether the Blue Jays go out and sign a hard-throwing reliever who can do the same, or a couple hard-throwing guys who can do the same. Or whether the Blue Jays go out and add a big piece in the rotation. You know, we're going to talk about some of the names that are available there. Whether the Blue Jays go out and trade to Oscar Hernandez for essentially a left-handed hitting equivalent in the outfield to add some of that balance, whether they move Bobochette to second and sign Trey Turner. like I think it's going to take one of these big moves to really put the Blue Jays up a step. And I think if we get to the middle of February and they haven't made these big moves, I'm going to be disappointed and my outlook on the 2023 season is going to be a little bit rough. Just because I think what this postseason demonstrated is you need to have those big pieces You need to have a really good team to get them there. And it's not just about getting hot in the postseason, although part of it is. A lot of it is about having those hard-throwing relievers, having that offense that can do it no matter what and doesn't go through these tough ruts as we saw the Phillies kind of went through in the World Series and it cost them. So um, that's my bit. That's what I expect from the Blue Jays this offseason. I'll be disappointed if I don't see it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Even... As the playoffs progressed, this was still something that I think we got a harsh reality of in that Mariner series with the wild card in terms of they still probably aren't there. You know, a lot of us were worried about the deeper they go in games. Um, you know, every time we thought about that, it felt like advantage the Mariners, advantage the Mariners. If you put the, the Jays in the Mariners' shoes that game when it was 18 innings, like, I, I don't know... If I don't know if I would be convinced the Jays would go anywhere close to that because, unfortunately, uh, the bullpen that they did have compared to a swing and miss bullpen like the Mariners and, of course, the other teams. And as the playoffs went on and on, you continue to see just the difference, the separation. And that's why I, I think I'm with you on that, that there needs to be a couple big moves. I don't know I don't know if I'd go to the extent that there needs to be like huge ones, like multiple huge ones, but I don't want them to go into the next season with the same team they have. I'm going to make that clear. So I think I'm, I'm closer with you on that in terms of I think there needs to be a couple of moves. It's going to be interesting to see which one uh, of the main guys are going to be getting traded because for the last couple of years we've been talking about in terms of you know, trading prospects upgraded, and you know, it's a lot of that has unaffected the major league roster. But at this ter- or this point around, it feels like if there's going to be a significant move, it is very likely that you will see a change in terms of what you have on the major league roster. And I mean, 
really, the rumors have been pretty much circulating, uh, I would say, pretty much even throughout the, kind of that gap between the AL and NLCS between the World Series, because there was a nice gap there throughout almost, I think it was like three, four, or five days. And then that's when you kind of saw rumors throughout just all of baseball. For example, you know, the whole Aaron Judge thing, the Shohei Otani thing. And of course, that impacts the Jays because we believe, or there's just buzz that the Jays would be interested in a move like that. But of course, the Angels GM came out, I think it was yesterday, said that's not going to happen. Who knows how truthful he is? What does a trade look like for Shohei Otani if you're the Jays? I think a lot of that would be interesting. Uh, I don't know where I stand on that in terms of a Shohei Otani trade, but I do think at some point the Angels have to move him in terms of just where they are. He's got one year left. You know, unless they're fully convinced that or got some sort of signal that he's willing to sign long term, you know, it just feels like the right thing to do for them, no matter if it's wherever the heck it is, they should move on from him. And of course, there's been other rumors um, that, but of course, I'll wait for you to get into them. But there's just been rumors starting to circulate here and there in terms of, I guess, relievers and just in terms of all of that. And then, of course, there was a catching thing today. But, you know, you, you look at this team again, um, the needs are very, very clear in terms of what they have to do, I think, um, for them to get better, for them to make that significant change. And I'm glad you brought up the Boba Shet thing because I was going to ask you about that because we know that, you know, I guess, I think there's about four or five high quality shortstops that are on the market this year. You named one in terms of, um, Trey Turner, sorry. And then, of course, there was another one like Carlos Correa. I know he's up. I mean, I think the Jays have shown interest in him before um, in the past, and that's also something that's interesting. There's Brandon Nemo that's available, um, and there's just really big names out there that the Jays have previously been linked to that we believe. And that's going to be a major question is, if do the Jays have that conversation with Bo Bichette? Do they sit him down and perhaps try and sell him on a move to second base. I'm not saying it's for sure. I don't know how likely it is, but I know this is a thing that a lot of people have been lobbying lobbying for, even going back to 2019 to 2020. That's interesting to me to see how they handle that. Of course, you could kind of envision where Bobachet does come back as a shortstop, but at the same time, if you move him over to second base, perhaps you know a guy like Kevin Biggio or Santiago Espinal, one of them, perhaps could be expendable too because of that. If you bring in a shortstop, you won't need all those guys if you have Bobochet at second base. That whole infield change could definitely impact the roster as well. So I think that's something we're, we're waiting to see too. And of course, we know the fact of the matter is as much as we, we don on swing and miss, you can never get enough bullpen pitchers and there's going to be tons available. We know that there's already a couple that are also kind of starting to circle or circulate around the Jays. And of course, we all know that the Jays will be looking to add to the starting rotation. And of course, the question is, is for, we believe that they will for sure add one guy, but the question is going to be, do they add two guys? Because we know that Ross Stripling's a free agent. We know that I think all of us would like to see him back Do if he comes back. Um, I think that's another question to be had because of how good of a season he did have. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much the Jays are willing to spend in terms of trying to keep up with other teams that are, that are going to go at Ross Stripling because you have to envision that there's going to be one or two teams that are willing to probably overpay for a little bit or give him an extra year that the Jays are willing to give. So that's an, another impact, I would say. The biggest impact out of their pending free agents is Ross Stripling because then you look at it and that is potentially two holes in the starting rotation unless they're sold on Yusei Kikuchi coming back and trying to get things right again. But I don't think a lot of Jays fans would be comfortable with that. And of course, if you do that, the depth behind him isn't exactly the strongest, and that's something that we kind of experienced this year as well. So that's another huge issue on that. And then relating to the catching thing, because it's just, if you put these pieces together in terms of adding a catcher and adding a guy like Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Curiel Jr., 
that's a significant trade. And then, of course, that brings in a ton of guys in terms of if you're looking for pitchers, of course, like we were just talking about, and even a left-handed at-bat that is something that we've been, we talked about a lot last offseason, but when the season started, we kind of backed off of it. That wasn't really addressed at the trade deadline. I know Whit Merrifield was brought in, but of course he was brought in as kind of insurance for George Springer. That wasn't the lefty at bat that we all kind of expected that they would go out and get. And that's something that I feel like even when you look at this lineup now or the the 2022 lineup that we saw in the playoffs and we saw throughout just parts of the year of how right-handed heavy they were, if you mix in a one or two guys that can bat left, you really feel like that can make the lineup even more powerful and would probably make it difficult or more difficult for teams to pitch to as well. And I think that's also a really key factor on that. So it feels like they've been right-handed hit, uh, right-handed heavy forever, but they've never really addressed it either in the past couple of years. So I would really like to see them address uh, left-handed at-bats as well. And I think if you get these moves done or if you, you make these moves, perhaps we are having a more of an optimistic conversation mark because if they don't make these or in spring training, because if they don't make these moves, uh, like you said, you know, the expectations, yes, have been through the roof the last couple of years, but it's very possible if they kind of bring back the same group, we're going to have lower expectations as much as they're really the same team because of stuff that we learned as much as we are past the whole rebuild talk. Now we're, the hype is, is still there, I would say to a certain extent, but it really took a hit this year because of what we saw in October. I think a lot of, you know, you just a lot of lessons from fans in terms of seeing the difference between these teams and seeing that perhaps the Jays still aren't as close as we thought they were. And maybe it's a reality check that we needed, but it's something that you have to address and you can't just leave for constant failure. At least that's what really you're expecting. Um, Or that's the worst case scenario. If you continue to bring everybody back, sure. There's a chance that happens, but I think we'd all like to see a couple significant moves made this uh, winter. You brought up kind of diversifying the lineup in terms of, adding lefties or replacing righties with lefties. Um, I mentioned Trey Turner a little bit there, and Trey Turner it bats righty. He's not a left-handed hitter, but I like the idea of the Blue Jays adding him because I still think he accomplishes the same goal of diversifying the lineup. And what I mean by this is he's a different type of hitter from the rest of the guys the Blue Jays have. You go down the list down the lineup of what the Blue Jays had in 2022. George Springer, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Alejandro Kirk, Matt Chapman. Every single one of these guys is a big swinger. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just their approach. They swing big. They make loud contact. They hit for power. And this is a good thing. They are all individually very talented players, but when you put them all together, they're all the same type of hitter. They all do the exact same thing, and they all have a very similar approach at the plate. And what I like about the idea of adding Trey Turner, defense aside, offensively, he diversifies the Blue Jays' lineup. He's a different type of hitter from everyone else. He's a contact guy, and importantly, he's got speed. Once he gets on, he can do anything, and he can do anything to get on. He can lay down a bunt. He can poke an infield single the other way. He can do all sorts of things to get on, and he's a different type of hitter. He diversifies the Blue Jays' lineup, and I think that's what they need. So I'm not so focused on lefty versus righty, although obviously that's an area of need for the Blue Jays. I want to see different types of hitters, guys who aren't, all kind of the same in their approach and the same in the way they swing the bat because I think that makes it very easy for an opposing pitcher to walk up there 
on his start and just pitch every hitter the same way and be successful because it's all the same blueprint. So one of the things I really want to see the Blue Jays do is make a concerted effort to get different types of hitters, whether that's lefty-righty, whether that's contact power, whether that is, I don't know, all these different sorts of things that we see, you know, ground ball versus fly ball or guys who play into the shift, although, you know, now the shift is going to be different or guys who, you know, all these sorts of things that make hitters different. I want to see the Blue Jays target this year because they need to diversify their lineup. So that's one of the things I would say is pretty high on my bucket list. I'd say my off-season bucket list, the top two things are diversify the lineup and build out the bullpen with high-velocity guys. Yeah, I mean, if you do that too, it's not... I think it's it's to a to a sense it's refreshing as well even for us of course you you like to see a different lineup out there and of course again if you do that like you were saying it just it feels like if you're an opposing pitcher you have to exactly you know it just feels like there needs to be more preparation to that you're you know you're going from a guy pitching to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. you mentioned Trey Turner as an example those are different players, but of course they both contribute as well a ton to their club. So we'll see with that. And, you know, the Trey Turner thing will be interesting because we know that, I guess from what we kind of heard, is that he prefers the East Coast. Of course, the Jays are an East Coast team, so it feels like, um, I guess, any team on the East Coast would definitely have a shot at him. Maybe, you know, not a guarantee, obviously, but I don't think they'd be out of it. And it'll be interesting to see if the Jays do decide to kick tires and pursue him on that. So that's why it's interesting, though, because, you know, you look at it, and I think even looking beyond 2023 for the offseason, this is really the the last offseason for a bit, and this is what I saw earlier today as well, before... You know, you have all of these high-class shortstops available. And I'm talking multiple guys like we were talking about with Turner, with Correa, and there's so many other guys out there. Um, And that's why it's interesting because it just, in my opinion, if that's the case uh, in terms of this is kind of the last offseason of, you know, a ton of shortstops available for a while, it feels like if you do want to ever consider the move. I'm not saying they, you know, the Jays should do it because I've always been torn on this between Bo Bichette and shortstop and second base. And for the longest time, I think all three of us, for the most part, have defended him at shortstop. But if they are going to entertain the idea, it just feels like if this is your last chance for a while, it would happen this offseason. So again, if they do that, it's a huge change to the roster in terms of where guys slide in and current or in different positions. So that's something that you have to kind of keep an eye or definitely look out for because that would definitely be altering in terms of even the depth pieces behind that and it's just altering all around so that's definitely something that even if it's not Trey Turner maybe it's not a shortstop at all if you just find a way like you said to diversify the lineup if it's with the lefty at bat or if it was just if it's with somebody with uh, a different playing style I think that's something that perhaps the team would just it feels like they'd benefit more from and perhaps you know the guys that are usually in the lineup every day the guys like Vladdy maybe they also benefit from that because of the fact that pitchers are going to be having to kind of change game plans throughout hitters you know maybe that leads to more mistakes we all know that of course that can happen in this game or in the sport and then I think that's something that definitely makes the lineup a lot better and it just feels like every offseason as much as it's true. It just feels like we bash at the idea that the bullpen needs to get better, that they need this in the bullpen, they need that. And that's been a heavy topic of conversation, Mark. I remember we had a really good conversation on that with the trade deadline of why can this team just never, you know, go into a season with almost like just a perfect bullpen. It's just for some reason for Chase fans or just for this team, it's never really the case. So would you to see that change this offseason would definitely be a change in terms of 
you know, higher expectation. I think we would feel really good about where things stood if that was something that they tackled this offseason. And of course, it all kind of goes back to that whole catcher conversation, which we expect to happen at some point too. So it feels like those are the most transparent bucket lists in terms of what they have to go at this season or this offseason. Maybe they surprise us with something that we weren't expecting because the front office has also been known to do that before. But I feel like these three needs that we've kind of mapped out is maybe something that the Jays need to do to get to, you know, just to, to reach that level that we saw throughout the playoffs with the teams like the Astros, even with the Mariners, um, with uh, the Phillies, even another team like that. So just all these teams that went deeper in the playoffs, you see the difference that they had. And it just, it really makes you wonder and really gives you some sort of clear idea of where things really kind of differentiate between these two teams. And maybe if the Jays get this, maybe if the Jays pursue that, they could be just as good as that because we know that the talent on this roster is definitely through the roof. And now it's get, it's it's turning into a matter of time where they need to get it done in the postseason. And that's going to be a whole kind of probably debate throughout the entire 2023 season because we know that they can definitely do it um, throughout the summer, of course. And they had a really good season as well. It was a really fun season, but we're getting to the point where we want more now and it, it's it's not going to be all talk. They have to do it. And I think that's something that as well, that they're going to be definitely motivated to do in 2023. Yeah. I think the roadmap for how you improve this team is very clear. Like we know what they need to do. The examples are the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees and you know, the, the teams that lost, even the San Diego Padres, the Phillies. And, you know, this is the roadmap of how you build a successful team. How you go about doing that is a difficult question. How you take the Blue Jays today and make them one of those teams by the time February 15th rolls around is an entirely different question. Because, you know, we talked about this right after the Blue Jays lost. How you go about changing this roster is difficult. You mentioned it earlier. You only have three free agents coming off the books. You have a lot of guys committed for years to come. You have some guys who are committed for, you know, six years to come for Jose Brios. And he's not pitching well. And you got Yusei Kikuchi committed for two more years. And he's not pitching well. And so there's a lot of question marks. And when you get to the nitty gritty, the details of how you go about making these changes, that's where it becomes difficult. But the changes that need to be made the areas of the team that need to be improved, I think are crystal clear to anyone who's paid attention to baseball over the last month. And we can very clearly outline what we need to see from this team. Um, I want to ask you about a specific player, and that's Ross Stripling. We're going to find out over the course of the next, I guess, 36 hours? Not even, probably you know, 26 hours, whether the Blue Jays are offering him a qualifying offer for next season we've had this discussion before about whether the Blue Jays should or shouldn't and maybe you want to revisit that I don't know if your opinion has changed at all but in the situation that the Blue Jays don't make him a qualifying offer or the situation that they do and he rejects it what should their offer to him look like Again, we've had this discussion before about what the offer should look like. But I'm curious because it's obviously a topic of conversation right now. And a lot of people are interested because there seems to be a mutual interest between the two parties. Or at least that's what was reported today. Should the Blue Jays make a real effort? Should they make a qualifying offer? What should the market look like when free agency starts on Thursday? 
it's it's a really good conversation. I mean, I think some aspects probably for my opinion have changed, but I think overall I would say most of it has stayed the same. I think first and foremost, if they can bring back Ross Stripling, um, I would I think all of us would be fine with that and all of us would love that. That's number one. Number two is I remember you, you asked us of, of course it was probably July or August about that whole would you give him a qualifying offer? I personally can't remember if I said yes or not, but right now, uh, my answer for that, though, even if that's changed or not because I can't remember, is I would do it. I would give him a qualifying offer. Um, I'm not under the impression, however, he would accept it just because of the fact that this is the best season, obviously, that he's ever had. This is really the first time he's going into free agency. It just feels like if you take that risk, you take that one year, if you kind of come back down to earth a little bit, you're obviously not going to capitalize like you would this year. So why not go out in the open market and why not cash in on maybe, I don't probably a two, three year deal. I mean, I think that's what would be fair. Maybe a team gives them four years. I don't know. But that's something that I would think if you're Ross Stripling, you definitely are considering is, is pretty much as you're in your early thirties now, or at least if I'm Ross Stripling, that's what I'm doing. So at least that would also give the Jays, of course, the confidence that if he does go, you get that draft pick. But I feel like, of course, and if the Jays do find a way to bring him back for one year, that's obviously a win for them as well. Um, I think that'd be fine compl- uh, fine on a one-year deal to see if you can definitely replicate that. But if you're Ross Stripling, it feels like the smart move is to try and cash in on the open market. So we know that today there was reports, of course, um, that the Jays, of course, they've been in contact with him. And I, when I hear or when I see that there's mutual interest, I fully believe that. I believe that this this team does want him back, and I think that Ross Stripling would like to come back too if things worked out. However, I don't necessarily believe that he's also, you know, this is a term used a lot, that he's open to a hometown discount. I could, I could be completely wrong because we have no idea what he's truly thinking, but my impression is that, again, he's going to try and cash in as much as he can, and if that's the case, if we're assuming that's the case, or at least I'm assuming that, then it's going to get to a point of how much would the Jays be willing to go to bring him back? And that that's going to be the million-dollar question in terms of what his value is on the market. If it's a third year that the Jays don't want to give, maybe they want to give him two years, but they don't, they're don't. they hesitant to give him three while another team's going to give him three. You know, you look at his hometown Texas Rangers, that's a team that you can definitely see overpaying to get Ross Stripling. I mean, that's one example out of many. You just throw that out there because, of course, he is a Texas boy. But... I think that's something that you kind of look at. And for me, it's just that's the most likely outcome is that they're going to be involved. I think they're going to be in constant communication. Maybe it comes down to the point, too, where the Jays are asked to match something and they have an opportunity or they have a choice to do so. And then that's going to be definitely interesting on that. I don't know if the Jays are willing, as much as they love Ross Stripling, willing to overpay to bring him back either. I mean, that's... That's where it obviously gets complicated for both sides. So that's why, for me, it's definitely complicated. But I think to the fact that they're both interested in coming back or having each other or just continue to come back for Ross Stripling, the fact that they're communicating all the time, um, I think that's obviously a really good start and to what to see or for him to evaluate the market because, of course, there's going to be tons of teams calling him and there will be teams that are willing to give him something maybe that the Jays aren't willing to give. So that's why, for me... That's the most likely outcome. Um, I don't think he's back. That's my personal opinion, just because I think he's outpriced himself um, to stay on this team. I hope I'm wrong because I want Ross Stripling back. It's not like I don't want him back, but I think that there's going to be a certain extent 
that the Jays are willing to go before they say, I guess, respectfully decide not to match any or some sort of offer or offer. So that's why I think that's where I think uh, things stand. I it could be completely wrong. Maybe he comes back on a qualifying offer. Maybe he takes a hometown discount. I don't know. But for me, it just feels like Ross Stripling is going to try and get security. He's going to try and get as much as he can from the open market. And really, I think that's the smart thing to do as well. Again, for somebody who's been under team control basically every year, this was his first year pretty much starting every day. He puts up the numbers that he did finishing with an ERA at 3.01 you're going to want to cash in because that might be the best time or the only time that you get as much as you will get because perhaps that was the ceiling this year. We don't know if we'll ever see it again. We don't know if we'll see it in 2023. We don't know what type of pitcher he will be again. But the one thing he did prove this year is that he is capable of being that guy. And that's what was very impressive because he was pretty much the unsung hero of this rotation that we were all talking about. He kept things intact when guys like Jose Barrios were struggling, when Hunjin Ryu went down with Tommy John surgery. He was right there with Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa pretty much pitching uh, above expectations. And of course, the whole Yusei Kikuchi roller coaster, you didn't know what you were going to get out of him every five days. But with Ross Stripling, you had more trust and trust with them as the months went on. It's pretty crazy to think about when he started the year out of the bullpen, when he made spot starts for Ryu, when he finally went back into the rotation when Ryu was shut down, and every time you saw him, he would go four innings, four innings, five innings, five innings, six innings, and it would go up and up, and it just felt like his stuff throughout the year also got better. So I think Jays fans, and I think all of us, are completely respect the heck out of what Ross Stripling did this year, because he, frank, quite frankly, no matter where he goes, no matter what he gets, he's going to deserve it. Of course, I really hope I'm wrong and he's back. I just, for me, that's the growing sense that I think it's unlikely he's back. That's just my personal opinion. And I hope I'm wrong once again. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. The two things that I will add, um, I think if the there's no world in which the Blue Jays shouldn't give him a qualifying offer because if you give it to him, he's going to reject it because of all the reasons you just outlined. And that helps the Blue Jays either way. If he signs with another team, you get a draft pick. If he signs with you, the cost is cheaper because other teams are disincentivized to go for him because they're losing a draft pick if they sign him. So it's a win-win. Um, and if he comes back to Toronto on a one-year, whatever the qualifying offer is going to be, $19 million-ish, I think that's a win as well. Um, so it's win-win-win no matter which way you paint it with a qualifying offer. So yeah, that's obvious. The second thing I'm going to add is I think he can get a four-year deal, if not a five-year deal. Um, you look at the comparison, I think the most recent comparison that pops into my mind is Stephen Matz. And Stephen Matz had one good year with the Blue Jays, and he ended up signing a four-year, $44 million deal with the Cardinals. And the Blue Jays, we know, weren't even involved in those sweepstakes because Stephen Matz is unvaccinated. So... I when when you consider the fact that it was a smaller field competing for him, he got four years, forty four million dollars. Like I think the fact that Stephen Matz of all people got that one year removed from putting up an ERA close to ten. I mean, come on, Ross Stripling is a phenomenal pitcher, and I think the market for him is probably going to be around four years, fifty million dollars, if not five years, sixty million dollars. I think that's what he's looking for. Maybe that's a bit high. I know. When we talked about this before, I kind of said the same range and people disagreed with me and thought it would be lower. And I know you were just saying like a two-year deal or a three-year deal. So maybe I'm a bit off base, but I really think just comparing it to what other guys have gotten, what Steven Matz got not that long ago, last offseason, 
I don't think it's that outrageous to say that Ross Stripling has proved over many years that he's a much better pitcher than Steven Matz. And I think that alone indicates that he's going to get something in the range of 50 to $60 million. And I don't think, to be honest, the Blue Jays are the team to do that, like you mentioned. But I think that's a reality of his market right now. I will say, and I will add on or I guess kind of alter my opinion because I remember at the time of course and this was something that I said that of course looking at it now rightfully so that you and probably Jacob disagreed with I know you did in terms of the whole idea are you paying him to start are you paying him to come to the bullpen blah 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 I think what you guys said age pretty much like fine wine throughout the rest of the year he is going to be getting paid as a starting pitcher I mean he continued to go out there even after that conversation in July or August, whenever it was, and he didn't stop. Like, he kept pitching the way he did. I think he had one maybe bad start, in might have been in September or whatever it was, but he bounced back, and again, you look at the final numbers, you wouldn't even think about this guy being a relief pitcher beforehand because of what he did, and that's really uh, remarkable when you think of it like that. So I will say that I'll alternate now and kind of, I guess, add on to it, is that he's getting paid as a starting pitcher, um, he's shown he has the capabilities to do that. And maybe you're right. I mean, I was kind of just spitballing two, three years, but of course, perhaps there is a team that's willing to give him four years. Like you were saying, I mean, that's why this is something that it just feels like he needs to take it or take advantage of. He needs to see for himself of what he's truly going to get. And if you take a qualifying offer, you might not ever kind of realize what, what the true answer was. And for the rest of your life, you're going to be asking yourself, what if? So that's why it feels like, for his own career with an unbiased opinion, he's got to decline a qualifying offer, which means if you're the Jays, you can kind of almost imply that he's not going to take it. So you give him the qualifying offer because, of course, you get the insurance like we just covered. So that's also a win in their books as well. So we know that it's worked out with them in the past in terms of losing guys like Simeon and Ray where they've gotten those extra picks. And I think it's just a respectful relationship that both Ross Tribling and the Blue Jays have had over the course of the last two years. There is no hard feelings whatsoever, uh, whatever happens or whatever he decides to go or sign with or whatever the heck his value is, his final contract is. We have the utmost respect for him, and he was a truly a really likable pitcher um, this year as well. And he just he got the job done. He was quiet about it, and it just shows kind of you saw him when he wasn't pitching in terms of how he just looked like a generally like a really good guy. And then you saw when he was pitching where he completely flipped that switch and he was completely dialed in and focused. And that's something that you want in a starting uh, for a pitching staff. So kudos to him. We'll see what happens with that. Of course, it's something that it feels like it's going to be one of those things where there's going to be reports of this team, that team. And then on top of it, it's going to be the Blue Jays remain in contact. The Blue Jays remain interested. It just feels like kind of one of those things where we're that's kind of what we're going to hear. And again, there's definitely a possibility that we could be wrong and he comes back and the Jays are willing to pay him to a certain extent and he kind of accepts it. That would be really good for the starting rotation. But of course, it just, for all the reasons that we've said before of why we don't think that's going to happen, I think the Jays are prepared for either outcome at this point. I take back what I said about the fifth year. He's 32 right now. Okay. Comparing him to Steven Matz, Steven Matz was 30 when he signed and got a four-year deal. So, so you just think four. Of age. I'll, yeah, if I, I'll say four yeah, years, $50 fair, million dollars is, is what I'm putting at. What would you put it at? A specific <sighs> number. I mean, I think as much as we you think about that and you, you can maybe say, yeah, that's high. It's just we have seen so many guys overpay before. 
So that's why, like, it's not as much as people may think that's ridiculous for you to say. Is it really? And that's why I think that's it, it's going to be a make or break, and that might be why the Jays decide not to. I think I'll probably side with you on that. I think it'll be around fifty million, like you said, if it goes to four years, of course. And yeah. if not, it's going to be a little bit less. Um, I think you know the likely. I feel like we're very confident he's getting it two, three years. Very confident, but of course, there's that possibility, like you were saying, four years, and that's going to up the end. That's going to up the annual offer, and of course, that's going to make it around that fifty million dollar range. I don't think you're too far off. I think he'll him and he'll, his agent will push hard for the fourth year because this is his last year of free agency, his last big payday in free agency. I don't think like he'll hit free agency at whatever age thirty five, thirty six, but he's not going to be getting a whole lot of money like he is right now. Um, okay, anything else? Anyone else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? I mean, I guess certain names to throw at you before we I guess okay. we um we end things. I mean, I think we heard today um there was Andrew Heaney rumors the past couple of days. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know how there's some stuff circulating. I'm not going to completely say it because we don't know how accurate it is, but that's something that that I will say is that in the past they have shown interest in Andrew Heaney. This is something that you know, this front office loves to revisit guys that they used to be interested in. And that's the one thing where you look at guys like Kevin Gosman and other people, perhaps they circle back and they try and get Andrew Heaney. I know a guy out there as well, if you're looking at kind of the back end of the rotation, Nathan Eovaldi's available. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, I think that's another thing where you don't want to completely overpay for him there. We know that as we were recording this, there was Robert Suarez. That was kind of a report from that from Ben Nicholson-Smith about pretty much relief help. There's going to be tons of that, especially for the relief help on that. So I think that's all I have to say. But I guess I'll ask you before I'll hand it back over to you. Is there any chance in your mind that you a, Sho- a Shohei Otani trade is going to happen this offseason? It might not be with the Jays, just a trade in general. Do you think the Angels GM was full of crap or do you think that they do trade them? To the Blue Jays, it's 0%. And I am like, yeah, I don't think there's any chance... Shohei Otani ever becomes... Oh, I shouldn't say ever. I don't think it's any chance that the Angels trade Shohei Otani to the Blue Jays this offseason. I'll put that as 0%. I'll do something stupid if it happens. I'll eat a hat or something. Um, <laughs> does he get traded? Like, I, I guess there's a possibility. I don't see it happening. I put it maybe okay. 10-15% chance. I think it's really unrealistic. It would take a whole lot for him to be moved to get a full season of... I, I don't see it happening. Um, the question I have to you before we end it is who is – if you had to choose one player on the Blue Jays right now that is not going to be a Blue Jay come February 15th when pitchers and catchers report of the people who are not free agents, who is it going to be? So essentially if you have to pick one guy who's – okay, I'm going to eliminate the catchers. If you okay. have to pick okay. one guy minus the catchers who's not going to be a Blue Jay by the time February 15th rolls around, who is it? Well, if we're taking away the catchers, I there's only two names in my mind that I have to choose. For me, I'll I'll say Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah, I'll go with that. That's who I was gonna say. Who was the other guy you had? I think Gurriel was definitely a close second, perhaps, okay. maybe. But I think for I think Teoscar definitely has a higher likelihood. Yeah, that's who. I think Lourdes is just too cheap. Like his his contract is like what, like five point two million dollars or something like that. The Blue Jays don't want to lose that contract. Um, okay, that's it for us. Uh, fun little off-season preview. We are looking forward to the start of free agency, which is Thursday. 
And hopefully chaos ensues from that point. The final thought I have is we don't really know what the offseason is going to look like in terms of pacing. We don't know when this stuff is going to happen. Are we going to get last year's offseason when everything happened in a blitz over the matter of, I guess, two periods of a couple days in spring training and at the end of November slash first day of December? Or are we going to get more of a traditional offseason where everything happens more spread out and then towards spring training, kind of like we see uh, I guess our last real off season, which was 2019-2020, because then COVID messed everything up. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Lots of question marks, as we've talked about. As always, you can support our podcast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash section138pod. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at section138pod. You can give us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. We'll be back whenever we have news or something we can figure out what to talk about. Um, and Jacob's we'll with us. Then. Yes, hopefully we get Jacob <laughs> back, the biggest loon, make his appearance on the podcast. Uh, we will catch you. Later.